Hi, and welcome to The Intersect. I'm Eric Tischler. Apt Associates tackles complex challenges around the world, ranging from improving health and education to assessing the impact of environmental changes. For any given problem, we bring multiple perspectives to the table. We thought it would be enlightening and maybe even fun to pair up colleagues from different disciplines so they can share their ideas and perhaps spark new thinking about how we solve these challenges. Today, I'm joined by two of those colleagues, Dana Hunt and Gabriel Krishak. Dana is a principal scientist here at APT. She's a highly regarded expert on crime, substance abuse, illegal drug use, and drug treatment, and co-writer of the recent blog titled, Should We Have Seen the Opioid Crisis Coming? Gabriel is a data scientist who manages a diverse portfolio of information and communication technology for development, ranging from global health to agriculture to education across middle and low-income countries. Thank you both for joining me. Thank you for having us. Yep. So let's talk about that blog, Dana, Should We Have Seen the Opioid Crisis Coming? Sure. Um, I mean, I wrote that originally because uh, this was something I should I should back up a little bit in that, you know, there have been lots of cycles of rising and falling heroin use and opioid use since I've been doing this, which is an awfully long time. Um, and one of the things that you look for in any change in uh, or the uh, a coming substance abuse uh, change or epidemic is when that use, which hadn't been particularly there before, is now in places where uh, it hadn't appeared, and also in groups in which it had not, it, it's not yet appeared, the young. People who are 18 to 22 are the, the replacements for old users but, who move out of drug use, particularly something like opioids. And when you see a rise in the use among the 18 to 22-year-olds in a particular drug, and it is a rise that's significantly higher than what you would expect from the past trends, uh, that's telling you that something is happening in either availability of the drug, but certainly in the use pattern of the drug. That's exactly what we saw starting in 2007, and actually some of the other data sources that we looked at saw it in 2005 where there was uh, a dramatic increase in, uh, in this case, uh, a project that I ran for years that is looked at arrestees in cities across the country. And you saw in cities like Charlotte, North Carolina, Indianapolis, Indiana, uh, Denver, places that are not characteristically, uh, historically ones that have had uh, a heroin problem. So were we not looking in the right places? We, the thing is, I think we were... Um, uh, you know, as a policy, as a drug policy group, we were looking, we weren't really looking for heroin and we weren't looking for the prescription opiates yet, uh, which are directly related to the rise of heroin use. Uh, we were looking at marijuana. We were looking, you know, we're looking at other drugs, but we weren't looking there and we weren't really looking for those two indicators, which is use among the young, increased use among the young, and increased use in places where you don't see it. If we see a rise, if we see a four or five percent use in New York City, that doesn't mean a great deal. If you see a 10 percent use in Indianapolis, that means a great deal. Data set that um, that we collected over the many years um, are the same population. It is uh, people within 48 hours of arrest, and they're drug tested. It's it's a clear indication. It's not a self-report. It's a clear indication of whether what was in their system at the time of arrest. So, Gabriel, what could we have done using AI, using machine learning, to alert ourselves to what was going on? Is there something we could be doing now to avoid similar unexpected crises? Yeah, I mean, I think Dana kind of hit it on the head in terms of 
there's a lot of data out there, right? And so I think one of the big challenges that we've seen in the past and currently is just that, you know, how do we think about putting all this data together and then finding the patterns in it. And thankfully, that's one of the things that we see or we're starting to see in machine learning and AI is that, you know, you're kind of voracious about data. It really wants to find patterns and match patterns. And so if we know the kinds of questions that we want to ask and we know what we're looking for, we can give it a jump start and sort of have an idea of what we want to look for. Uh, But also, as we get a little bit more sophisticated, we can start to see patterns and and things pop out at us that we might not have seen before. I I think that's exactly right, uh, uh, Gabriel. You know, if we had looked, which in in retrospect, we look back, but if you had looked at what's called the TEDS data, treatment episode data set, which is everybody who's admitted to public Mm. and publicly funded treatment programs in the country, starting in 2005, you saw right. a, a massive increase between 2005 and 2015 for heroin admissions, 54% increase, up to almost a half a million wow. people. So this gets back to what uh, Gabriel said about knowing to ask the right questions to, so we can find those blind spots. Uh, Dana, what questions do we need to be asking ourselves and do we need to sort of be feeding into AI to, to identify those blind spots? I mean, I think one of the questions that that needs to be uh, put out there that that the gathering data through AI would be really important is the the uh, I don't know if it's a question, but it's a clear understanding that drug use is regional, and th- mm-hmm. that looking at national estimates are not necessarily the way to go to sort of figure out these patterns. Um, the example I use quite frequently is methamphetamine. In met in our 2013-2014 collection of these uh, data, methamphetamine, 52% of the guys going who were arrested in Sacramento tested positive for methamphetamine. Less than 2% on the East Coast. Uh, wow. If you smushed those two together uh, to try to find a pattern, it wouldn't tell you very much. It wouldn't tell you mm. about what's really happening. So the the first question is, can we gather uh, some of these regional data? Um, to figure out what's happening and put them together. I mean, I think the idea of blending data sources from treatment, from the criminal justice data, from availability data, from what's called the the uh, heroin domestic monitoring program that the DEA does, all of those sources put out regionally can tell you a great deal about what's happening. Dana, I, I was just going to say, well, um, you know, my work coming from maybe some some of the more international sector, you know, and, and applying sort of data science and some of the, you know, machine learning uh, projects and products that we're sort of um, working on, you know, it makes me think that a lot of what we do is, is spend time really trying to understand the data itself and trying to understand the limitations that we're currently working with and the kinds of, um, you know, biases, the inherent biases that are already in the data sets that we're looking at and spending just, frankly, a lot of time, you know, 80% of the time basically doing data cleaning and things like that. I'm curious from your perspective how you would sort of characterize the data sets that you're just talking about and if they're sort of, you know, at that point of maturity where we're ready to start really putting them together and trying to understand things so that we could then take that next step and apply things like machine learning and finding those patterns and that sort of thing? Some of them are. Uh, absolutely. Some of these data sets are uh, at that point. Certainly hmm. uh, ones that have the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration have been collecting for decades, the TEDS data, is right. at that point because it's collected at intake by 
if you receive federal money for um, substance abuse treatment, if you're a program, you have to do this intake data and you have to turn it into your state. The state turns it into the feds. That is a data set that is uh, mature enough to be hmm. looked at in this way. Um, some of the criminal justice data, which we contain, we have a lot here at App that we work with, um, maybe not quite as um, ready. But I think I think this is definitely uh, an area in which the AI and the machine learning could be very helpful in trying to figure out these patterns. Even even going to um, you know scraping data on the web from because there's a great deal of information mm-hmm. out there mm-hmm. that's um, like crowdsourcing kinds of information. Not not clean, not very good, but maybe right. helpful with these other data sets that are there. The DEA collects a great deal of data that systematically that could be used. If the, you know, if, if the use is increasing, and we've sort of seen the mistakes we made with opioid use, you know, in 2005, what can we be doing now if heroin and uh, cocaine use is still on the rise? I think that um, the the kinds of things of putting these data sets together and looking at them together, including things like availability, things like um, what's called the um, price per pure gram. Uh, that's a very important item, you know, in when this is happening with cocaine right now, when the price per gram, per a pure gram of the drug is uh, rises or falls, that tells you something about the availability of the drug. When you have very pure, which we did with heroin, very pure heroin on the street, but the price is dropped, that's telling you something about the, the, that aspect of the, of the whole equation, which is the availability and the marketing and the pushing, uh, the pushing the drug into new areas, into West Virginia, you know, into the states with the highest increases of heroin deaths right now, are West Virginia and Ohio. Are there so so Dana? One one of the things that this makes me think of. I mean, you know, the work that we do in the sort of data science division that I'm a part of is that you know I would say uh, these percentages aren't going to be right, but you know we do some percentage. Let's say 50 percent of of sort of research tasks. You know, we're sort of looking in hindsight and sort of saying you know ki- kind of in the way that you're t- describing a little bit, like okay, how do, you know what did what do the numbers show has happened and how do we characterize what happened and then you know uh, uh, but then a lot of you know maybe let's say the other 50 percent of what we do is sort of more forward-looking sort of like project implementation. And so it might be the case where we want to, you, you know, position ourselves in such a way to or build a project or to be part of some program that basically says, okay, you know, as this data comes in or as we understand something, you know, let's try and, and mitigate this or let's use this as sort of a monitoring tool that allows us, you know, to sort of understand these quick feedback loops to be able to change something on the ground or to, or to mobilize resources quickly. So I, I'm, I'm curious, like, from your perspective, what sorts of things, you know, might be, you know, talking about machine learning and AI sort of in the past tense, you know, we can analyze it and find those patterns. I'm wondering if there are opportunities to think about it for, um, you know, looking forward, like maybe we can use it to mobilize, you know, resources differently or, you know, distribute sort of like efforts in, in you know, based on regional, you know, hotspots yeah. or things like that. I'm curious yeah, if no, you have absolutely. thoughts on those other areas. Absolutely. It could be used for that. I mean, the, the, the things that, you know, there's a great deal that's known about patterns of drug use by doing just what you said, looking backwards. Mm-hmm. We can use some of those things to look forward, you know, just on, on preparation level. Had we seen uh, or had we paid attention to the fact that the heroin was rising in some of these places, 
we would have decided again to look at methadone as a treatment. Methadone has has you know the the bottom fell out of uh, the opportunity to for methadone in states. There's right. very very few programs anymore. That right. should have been a heads up that says we're going to need this. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. The the we're looking at it now with cocaine. If co- cocaine is rising again, the purity is high, the price is low. All of the indicators are that the use is high and distribution is high again. Uh, just in uh, 2016 data, the initiates are increasing 10 to 12 percent each year. Mm. There's not a lot of cocaine treatment either. Right. That right. would be something going forward that you could look at. I, I, I'm curious. I have another question, if I'm allowed. To. Uh, please. <laughs> um, you know, one of the things, like just what you just said in terms of cocaine treatment. I mean, are there? You know, we always sort of think about the the AI piece is like identifying these patterns. I'm curious if, you know, we can identify um, uh, things that would have an influence or impact on behavior change. So, you know, not just looking at statistics, but saying, you know, certain people are in certain conditions respond differently or behave differently towards different incentives or drug treatments or things like that. Like, have you given that much thought in terms of how we can sort of distribute our resources and then say, you know, for X, Y, Z, you know, person and such and such um, sort of situation, you know, it looks like, you know, based on the data and based on our sort of algorithm that we have, that this would be the most appropriate sort of treatment response or anything like that? You know, that's a whole field as to what right. is effective for different kinds of treatment. But it certainly would be something that you'd want to start projecting forward and gearing up. For, right, 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 right. Um, yeah. The, I think that the, the task is putting these pieces together mm-hmm. um, and and do, using data science to project forward to see right. also based on patterns in the past because we have long histories of patterns in the past in these things right um, and to see what what the expectation could would be and what does that mean for mm-hmm. developing treatment developing prevention materials developing uh, hotspot policing you know you know all kinds of things that could be addressed if we looked forward I, Gabriel, I would love to to sit down with you and and do this. Figure out how we can do something with. I would learning. too. <laughs> Let's make <Yeah>. it happen. <laughs> we'll go offline and do it <laughs> in secret intersection. And that's an even better ending. So. <laughs> so thank you both for joining me. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Eric. Thank you very much. And thank you, Dana. And thank you for joining us at the intersect. Gabriel and I were recorded live at App Studio One in Rockville, Maryland. Dana called in from our Cambridge, Massachusetts office. 